are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point Number 9, a Tennis Bets podcast. I'm one of two co-hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9Tennis on X and all the socials. You can find our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts these days. Please do subscribe. If you're a first-time listener, chance starts how you found us. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, welcome back. I'm based in California. I'm tossing it to my main man in Canada, Mr. John Reed. You can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis. He does betting content for his own brand, Tidbits Tennis. He writes for the Action Network betting expert. He does post-match analysis for the Tennis Forum ticker. John, how are you handling these Aussie hours? Uh, I've been up late the last couple nights, and uh, I paid for it with about four hours of sleep last night as my child woke up at 5.30 a.m. my time, went to bed about 1.30 <laughs> uh yeah i mean i go to bed probably about midnight one o'clock i'm not going to stay up all night i i can watch on tennis tv i hide the timelines and i'm fine um i don't mind it i don't i, I do tape study during the day anyway it's it, it's not a big deal to me so um i i don't mind it terribly i i start here at seven so i'll watch five five six hours of it i love it uh it's more the weather here that's pissing me off man we're getting like dumped on with snow today it's like wet snow too so the shoveling is going to be a bitch well, it is not snowing in Australia, uh, where the <laughs> tour is. It is hot action down under, and we have some stuff we have to talk about from last time. And what did we win? What did we learn? Wins. How about Germany? And into the bankroll with a 12-to-1 ticket cashing as they take down the United Cup, upsetting the favorites from Poland. Thank you, Zverev, Emil Rusevori. Took on Sebastian Offner in the semis in Hong Kong. John had a play on the over 22 and a half, which comes in. But 23, that, yeah. Over, well, I was looking back, it was 22 and a half in mm. the episode. Weird. Well, over 23 and a half hit too, so there you go. Yeah. That does pivot us to the losses, though, as you had a play on the set one tie break as well, which does not come in, uh, but still profit for the match. You'd lower stake that at a half unit. Brisbane semis also have to take a loss with Jordan Thompson and Dimitrov. Uh, had the over 22 and a half there at plus 110. And Dimitrov is in fuego still. Uh, talked about it in their offseason pods looking to fade him. And that is proving to also be a losing strategy uh, out of the gate here. But I, we were talking about this with uh, Avery, uh, who's been on the pod before. But, uh, I, I mean, Dimitrov's going to have a stretch where he loses like five in a row. I mean, it's coming, man. But it isn't coming right now. And in the Auckland qualities, a lot of them that we talked about last time out got canceled. Uh, but Vesely goes down to Munar at plus 120. Uh, we talked about that one. Loses the set two tie break to keep that match alive. Uh, Munar goes ham on serve in the first set again, like he did against Vertanen. Quick conditions, uh, Munar's serve can play up at times. All right, John. That was last week. There is a lot going on right now. I mean, we got... Two full tour sites, AO qualies going on. And John, you posted the other day about volume and don't have a ton of takeaway from our win losses, but I thought maybe you could talk about your strategy when it comes to volume right now, this time of year with so many matches. Not only do we have the two, the two sites and the, the qualies, there's also some challengers going on. Talk to us about volume and, and how you're approaching this, because I know you were really pushing that on your timeline. Yeah, I think a lot of people, you're going to find 
people, I'm, I'm speaking in absolutes in general about almost anything in the betting world is just incorrect because we're dealing with probabilities and there's a buy price on both sides of almost every match and there's a sell price on both sides of almost every match. So you get people who are like, never do this, never do that. Never put out X amount of your bankroll in one day. Never, look, there's a couple things to touch on here. First of all, bet the value where it is. Second of all, volume is not always a bad thing. There were, think about this, in the first round of qualities on the men's and women's side, in, in, in the first two rounds, just like a Grand Slam, there will be 196 matches, okay? And that's going to be spread out over... It was supposed to be spread over three days. It's going to be four now because the first day got rained out. But it's spread out in three to four days. And then in those same three to four days, you have four tour-level tournaments going on, which are going to have first and second round matches, and you have three challenger tournaments going on. The books... The, the whole thing about bookmakers is they price up everything. To acquire customers, they want to price up every single match and they do almost all of them bet online will leave a few off here and their challenger qualities they don't really post but outside of that they're all going to price these up do you think books are going to be perfect at lining up hundreds and hundreds of matches in a four-day span absolutely not so just using basic logic we can glean that there are going to be opportunities to, to bet profitably in these spots and there might be a lot of opportunity even if you only bet three or 4% of the matches that is going to be, you know, you're into the, the, the double digit areas or getting towards double digit number of bets during that time. I tend to bet way more than that. You can bet 10% of the board and be relatively conservative. And still in, in that four day span, not including ITF matches with the, the market's total liquidity, you could still have yourself, you know, 30, 40 bets in that time frame, And that is high volume. Because just in sheer number, not in percentage, but in sheer number. And it's not necessarily unintelligent. The second thing is not all outlays of your bankroll are created equally. So you're going to have people say, never outlay 20% of your bankroll in one night. Well, not on two bets, no. But if I have 20% of my bankroll outlaid on 15 different bets, the chances of going 0-2 are far greater than going 0-15. Okay? So context matters. Think through these things. Don't listen to people who speak in absolutes. There's an opportunity. I've had a I have, I've had a great few days personally. Haven't had a, you know the opportunity to really uh, do more more writing because there's right now it's just betting expert, um, and that's just two picks a day, and we're we're recording every few days. But you know my my bets aren't all public this year. That's that's the way it is. And but personally, the last couple of days on on volume have been great to me. A couple ladders between like Buruchaga. And Yamas Ruiz having their serves underrated. Luckily, they fell apart in the second and not the first set. So got a couple big price ladders. There's a lot of opportunity to find underrated players in certain spots on quick courts down under, and you should be taking advantage of them. Absolute fire, John. Thank you for uh, that talk. That was awesome, bro. <laughs> you absolutely crushed that. I uh, didn't even prepare you. Just uh, no. you're a talented hey. man. Mr. I just dealt with canceling. I just dealt with canceling internet from one company, so I had to deal with you know the the customer service reps on the other end, trying to get you to stay on. So I had that fire burning. It was already there. That heat was it was in me. <laughs> well, let's keep that fire burning. Talking about uh, some plays for today, uh, the 9th of January. Let's start off with ATP Auckland. I have a play I can talk about that I bet yesterday, and that's Francisco Sarundolo. Now, I got him at minus 140 on the money line. He's minus 155 now, taking on Alexander Muller, plus 130 as the dog. The spread is two, total 22 and a half here. I, I just, I know that Sarundolo was bad. He lost to RBA. You can say it was bad, whatever. 
he did generate more breakpoints than RBA. Uh, got a bit unlucky in the second set from 15.40 up on return. But Mueller is not a hard quarter. And not only is he not a hard quarter, he's played, he's only played 16 tour level matches on a hard quarter. He's 5 and 11. He has a 67% hold percentage on hard quarter. Now he does have a 21% break percentage, which is respectable. But then you're looking at Dolo. First off, Dolo has like over 100 more raw ELO points on hard court than Mueller. Dolo, 76% hold percentage on a hard court. So we're, we're talking about like an almost 10% difference here. And the whole percentage. He's got 48 career true level matches on. He's 20, 21 and 27, but he's 13 and 12 as last 25. So been playing better on the surface. We saw him win the title in Eastbourne. Quicker conditions on grass, but quick conditions. I just, when it was at minus 140, I'm like, what? What? First off, I didn't think it was a trap because I just think the market is down on Sorendolo. But I don't understand how he's even still only moved 15 cents. Nothing's really making sense for me. I still like it at minus 150. I think it's a play, John. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm I'm in on it as well, just because I think he should be closer to the minus 170, uh, minus 175 range. Look, he, that loss to RBA is looking worse now just because his serve last night had covered that match in Auckland. It's really bad. And that's why he generated more breakpoint opportunities than he faced, right? So he did actually take advantage of it. He just didn't convert as well. And so that's not a great look. But at the same time, you mentioned Mueller being probably a bit overrated here. And I would agree. I remember last year, I think it was actually him that, that fell against uh, Sue in Aussie Open qualies for me and really annoyed me. Uh, but he's just not he, – he his serve is a little weaker. And if you take a look at his run to this point, I mean, that match against Constant Lestien, he really should have lost. Constant Lestien basically gifted him the first set. I think he, he lost – under under five points on serve in that set against Lestien, who is a very good returner, has a good amount of variety, good hands. Then what happened? Lestien broke him in the next 10 games. Lestien won eight of them, right? So he picked up three breaks in the next uh, five Mueller service games before he completely fell apart again and looked lackadaisical. Very constant lestien right? Even still... He was able to break his serve relatively consistently once he got engaged mentally in the match. I'm not convinced about Mueller here. I do think he's a bit overvalued. I'm bigger on Dolo. I think Dolo has bigger weapons. He's got more to her pedigree. He's just as athletic. It's not like he's a terrible returner. I mean, he comes from a clay background. It's not like he's inconsistent, hits a ton of errors. Again, comes from a clay background. And even Ben Bonesy. I believe Ben Bonesy led in the second set against Mueller. He pressured his serve a lot in that second set. The... What I've noticed is it feels like Mueller has decent first sets when it comes to serving. And then it's very easy to gain a rhythm on his serve because either he repeats patterns with his with his location or he's just not, he doesn't have that much power. So you can really start to get, you can get into rhythm against it much quicker than you can against like a Hubie Hercatch or a Felix Ozzie right? Like the actual big servers where it doesn't matter how many times you see the serve, it's still going to ace you when it lands in the right spot on the first serve. Mueller doesn't have that. Yeah, I, I like Sarundolo here. And you know what? The money line is fine. It's a bit juiced, still showing value. And it's better than, you know, again, having to lay the games if he does. It takes Sarundolo a set to kind of get into rhythm on return. Yeah, the match is definitely on Dolo's racket. It's just, you know, he could provide another dud and fuck us. But I, I mean, this is a, a primo matchup for Dolo to get a win. John, I believe you have a play on FAA, Felix, your countryman, 
who is minus 250 on the money line. He's taking on Daniel Altmeyer, who's plus 200 as the dog. The spread is three, total at 22 and a half here. Talk to us about the return of FAA to action. Well, let's start with the fact that we've seen these, these probabilities shift by seven percentage points already. That's a pretty decent-sized shift, right? He opened $1.32 around that minus 300 mark, minus 310, 325, whatever that number is. He's up to $1.43, which I I looked it up earlier. It's like minus 269 or something like that. I can't remember. Either way, the more important thing is the probabilities have gone from 76% to 70%. Okay, that's that's significant to me. One, two. I'm not huge on carrying over last season's struggles into a new season as a handicap. I think I made that clear with the Cam Nori play in the United Cup, if you recall, where we went we went actually sizable on that for a unit and a half uh, against Alex Demonor, who, by the way, Alex Demonor, that win is is aging really well. <laughs> the way that Alex Demonor ended up in that United Cup. So the same thing here. Daniel Altmaier came through last match because Marcos Giron completely started just, you know, that 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 gif of the dude in the gym hooking up basketballs and just missing the entire backboard repeatedly. That's what it felt like Marcos Giron was, was doing uh, with his ground strokes about halfway through the first set. So <laughs> Altmaier, when he leaves that, when he hits with too much topspin, he leaves things short and attackable. Something Felix can take advantage of. Secondly, Giron was dictating a lot. It was like, I called it uh, for patrons, I said hustle and hope for Altmaier, right? Hope to wait out the airs because you're hustling around just getting balls back. And he did. It worked with Giron. That strategy is going to be tougher to implement with Felix because Felix has much more natural raw power than Giron. You might be able to run down five or six ground strokes that Giron's trying to hammer away at and then get an error out of him on the seventh. You're not going to do that with Felix. You're not going to run down those six. He's got too much natural power. If he stays aggressive here, he's the much better hard quarter. Altmaier is going to need to land first serves. And even if he does, return the, the return games here are going to be much tougher. This spread is is a minus three game spread at a buck ninety six to so minus one hundred four. If you can you can get down to and you can see the two and a half at a dollar seventy six. A huge discrepancy there. I'm more than willing to sell that half game on Felix, take the minus three uh, at a relatively cheap price. I'm going to go a unit and a half on that uh, over at Pinnacle. So Felix minus three, minus 104 for a unit and a half. There is some concern for me about the soreness the FAA talked about. Just unsure what we'll get in his performance. Uh, but other than that, obviously in a vacuum, FAA is a much better player. than All right, John. Archer Feast is taking on Nuno Borges. Now, I had Borges' money line last time out against Alex Mickelson. I think I got it at plus 170. He was bageled in the first set, and he still came back to win, uh, which was great. It was nice to have that happen. You can get minus four at plus 110 with Feast against Nuno. That is assuredly a play for me. Uh, Nuno Borges is going to get eviscerated by Archer Feast. He will not be able to hold serve, and he will be blown off the court. The only way Borges is going to get a set is if Feast tanks out, has some like fatigue issues or, I don't know, just general um, fitness problems, or a tiebreak. That's it. So I'm pretty comfortable laying here the four at plus 110. John, what do you think about this matchup? I'm I'm out on it. I think Fields is is the much better player. I, I don't like laying the games. And honestly, 
Borges' serve has looked a lot better than I think he gets credit for in quick conditions. He can keep sets close, so I'm going to go ahead and pass. Obviously, I think Felix wins. He's the much better player, more aggressive, more suited to to quick courts, uh, and just has the talent that's, you know, has that top 10, top 15, top 20 kind of potential that Nuno doesn't. So yeah, I think four games probably about, like probably about right. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take issue with that. I'm not gonna say it's it's too many games because it could very well end with a he could win each set by a break, and then you're down to service order. He could he could win a lopsided set, of course. I could also see Nuno easily uh, finding five or six holds uh, in one of the two sets, just because it is like on these courts, it's even even poorer servers find a fair amount of holds. It's really tough to get those lopsided sets. So I'm gonna go ahead and uh, pass on that one. Do you have another play here in Auckland? I am looking at... um, No, it's in Adelaide. So I'll I'll save it. Well, one one more match I want to talk about. Well, uh, first off, I am interested in watching Ben Shelton versus Fabian Marichon because that's an awesome tennis match to watch. I'm very excited for that. I do see some value on Marichon over plus two... I mean, you can get a plus 210. I I don't think that there's a ton of separation between Ben Shelton and Fabian Marichon at this point. I think Shelton obviously has a higher ceiling, maybe. But, I mean, Marichon, can, he's got, I mean, huge ground strokes and, and variety that could really sink Shelton. Shelton, though, is super athletic. And that was, honestly, that was how uh, Monfils was able to stay in the match. Uh, because he's a super athlete too against Marichon. Um, so I don't know. I don't really have a play. I'm probably just going to watch that one. But I, I would lean Marichon. Uh, at, at the, I just think that there's value on that. I think he should be like plus 180, plus 170. Um, but let's talk about Bodic uh, versus Alejandro Tobilo. Uh, last year during Indian Wells, which mud slow, hardcore. Uh, but Tabilo, he turned himself into a character I called Tastilo because uh, he <laughs> did uh, what it took to win uh, and, and was tested quite often and, and I mean, and was gutting out matches. Is there a, a sneaky spot here for him to pick up a plus 170 dog win against Bodic? Now, Bodic, I think, could obviously completely destroy him because Tabilo has a super low floor as a player. But Bodic also very erratic. What do you think about this matchup, John? Oh, I mean, I got him against Bornegoia last round. Talk about talk about comeback wins from like the abyss. He was down one six last night. I also got a bagel, um, a bagel player in the first set comeback in uh, Magdalena Freck on the women's side. So I, those actually feel really nice, and it's not something I'm used to. This year, I, I will admit, I always bitch and complain when when variance goes against me. This month has been nice. The variance has actually gone my way. Uh, in the in the grand scheme of things, like the the positives outweigh the negative in terms of profit, and I bet a lot of underdogs. So that's that's a really nice surprise, probably due for some regression, uh, and it's happening as we record. But still, a really nice surprise. Um, he came back from one six down. Borna Goyo did appear to have a, a back issue. He took an MTO after the second set for his lower back, so I don't. I wonder how much that weighed into that deciding set, and potentially even later on in the second set. So I don't want to give him too much credit. But Tabilo is a guy who can play on all courts. Keep in mind, he ended last year by winning the Brasilia Challenger. That's altitude. That's hard court. It's a quick surface as well, right? So it's not. He's not just a clay grinder from South America. The guy's got a nice first serve. He can. He can bomb it. He does. And his inside out forehand. For some reason, lefties and their inside-out forehands, man, Jerry Shung, Ben Shelton, even Tabilo, these guys can hammer away 
uh, on those on that inside out uh, shot. So, look, he's got talent, but I don't think Bodick has a weak win wing for him to target. Right? I mean, he's so solid from both wings. His errors come more from trying to be too precise, and I wish he would play with a bit more margin and where he's trying to like play uh, hit into a bigger target his and let his angles and depth, his width and depth, kind of do the work for him in that offensive respect and not try and paint lines as, as much as he does. But I don't know where Tabilo goes to pick on Bodic, whereas I know that Tabilo's back. Pardon me, Tabilo's backhand isn't that great. I know his forehand when he hits it with spin can can be left short a lot and it's attackable. I know his return game isn't the best. A lot of holes here uh, for Tabilo to have to fill, and I just don't see as many weaknesses on Bodic's side. So I'm going to pass on this one. I think Bodic is a deserved uh, clear favorite, or, or rather large favorite in this in this one. Fair enough. Uh, we don't have a ton of time, and I think those are our only plays uh, at Auckland. So let's move to Adelaide. John, I want to start off by talking about how sometimes there is value on minus 200 money line plays. And Jack Draper being minus 215 versus Mio Kashmanovic is a... <laughs> steaming hot value at, at minus 215. I mean, unless Draper cramps out, Kashmanovic is drawing dead in this matchup. Yeah. Um, that's the one play you said. Is there any other play in Auckland? I was about to say it. This is the one. Uh, look, Jack Draper has rebounded from... There's been huge steam on Kashmanovic. He was initially... The opener was bet bet down huge, and it's come almost all the way back from where it to where it opened. I don't know if people are just like loving Kitchmanovich's win in two tie breaks at Davis Cup, but Jack Draper has shown us the ability to return on quick surfaces, pick up lopsided sets. I mean, he he crushed Max Martyr. He crushed some guys with decent serves in the latter half or the latter portion of the 2023 schedule. I, I don't know why I wouldn't lay three games here with him. The quick courts are going to help him too. He doesn't like the heat, but we're in best of three and the quick courts to keep points short, keep points short. Th those are benefits for Jack Draper, right? We get into like a, a slow, hard court when it's going to be hot and humid. I don't love it because those rallies get longer. The games get longer then the sets get longer, et cetera, et cetera. It all kind of a domino effect of playing into a long match, getting to a third set and he's out of steam. I don't think that's the case here. He's got the better serve. He's got the better attacking tennis. He's, more athletic than uh, Miriam Kachmanovich, who looks like you know he's he's sitting beside me at the pub some nights, eating a, eating a pound of wings and and having a few pints, uh, watching his his favorite footy team. But I, I'll say, I, I don't see what Mio does better than Jack here. I, the, the only thing I can think of is the market loving a well, Mio beat him seven six seven six at Davis Cup, and people get married to these these head to head these recent head to head results, and it's just it's one isolated match, and it was barely. A thing like it was barely a win, so I'm going to go ahead. I, I don't. I don't hate the Draper look. He's down to minus one ninety now at Pinnacle. Um, the minus three is is nearing even money. It's or, sorry. It's back to minus one hundred seven. Open minus one hundred four. It got down to minus one thirty five for minus three, and it's come all the way back to minus one hundred seven. Lot of pushback and buyback on Mio here. Tell me what Miamir Kachmanovich does better than Jack Draper. I I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. And I mean, I might. You could you could even look for alternate game spreads here. I wouldn't mind looking to like a Unibet or what can be books generally might go to like the minus four and a half minus fives 
on the alts for for you know plus 180 plus 200 kind of thing i wouldn't mind doing that either because i could absolutely see a scenario where well over a third of the time he wins in straight sets and he finds a, a, a double break set somewhere along the line yeah i mean the unforced errors yes listen if he if he coughs them up that's going to leave the door open for kashmanovic because that's literally the only way kashmanovic can win matches <laughs> but i don't see this being dissimilar from the bias match last time out to be honest that's exactly it too well i'm glad we're in agreement john all right let's up and go all right uh <laughs> what which other one did you like here in adelaide well that was the big one i also think i the the one that really makes me scratch my head is alex shevchenko he is was he was down to minus 125 he's back to minus 130 at pinnacle I'm not sure all this guy's done the last several months has proved to us over and over and over again that he is a legitimate player on quick courts. He qualified and made the quarterfinals of a 500-level event in Basel where he lost to the two-time defending champion who hasn't lost there in years in Felix Ocheliasim. That was in a third-set tiebreak. Then he backed that up by going to the Mets final where he beats, or sorry, he loses to Ugo Umber in his hometown. Both those guys top. 20, 30 talents. Both those guys, huge power, big serves. Crystal Connell does not have that. Crystal Connell's a smart player. He's got a well-rounded game. He doesn't have a clear weakness, and he's not, he's certainly not like purely underpowered and a pusher. So he's not an easy out. But what has Shevchenko done? Usually when players repeatedly prove themselves in situations, the market overvalues them. But we just continue to get an undervaluation here on Alexander Shevchenko, who like I said, I'll go I'll go through it again. His last losses on the tour on quick card courts were to Felix Ojeliasi in a third set tiebreak, Ugo Umber and Holger Runa. Holger Runa was in three sets. Felix Ojeliasi was in three sets. So like where is this this disrespect coming from? Is it cuz he had a long match against Echeverry and you think he might be tired? Echeverry to me has believe it or not even on a hard court has more weapons than than a Chris O'Connell. Like that forehead is much bigger. I don't see why he's a minus 130 favorite here. I have him as a much, much larger favorite. I would lay games here. This is this is another perfect opportunity where if you can get a book that has four or five different game spreads, like a pinnacle going up the ladder each half game, I don't mind selling out to like a minus two and a half, minus three. I believe that the spread itself is one and a half, maybe one. Somewhere it might be a, uh, an expensive one, like a 1.25 expense. Yeah, it's one is minus 115 and one and a half is, is minus 107. At this point, sell out to the minus two. Get the two and a half at plus 120. You know what I mean? If he wins this, he's probably going to win it by at least a break of serve along the way. Um, money line spread. It's all good for me. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to recap the Draper stuff too. The Draper bet for me is actually a two and a half unit play on minus three uh, at minus 107 at Pinnacle. And then Shevchenko on the money line is a two unit play at uh, minus 130 at Pinnacle as well. I'm going to keep an eye on the Corda price uh, ahead of. I mean, if if, if people are betting Sinego against him, which I, let me look that up right now, actually, uh, because I watched a lot of. I watched most of the the Sonigo. Hoffman match last night, which Hoffman is better than I give him credit for. He just kind of uncorks at the wrong time <laughs> or uh, unspools at the wrong time. But Lorenzo did nothing on return. And Hoffman was feeding him second serves. 
couldn't get a break. Uh, Corda's just way better hardcore than uh, Sonico. So if I can get like a minus 150, I would play Corda. I can't find it. So let's let's just keep it moving, John, because I know you have a lot of AO qualities you want to talk about here. Is there is there one you're itch, itching to talk about uh, off well, the top I, here? I, I'm not done in Adelaide yet. I got one more play in Adelaide. Oh, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, I'm going to go with a one-unit play. I'm leaning towards one and a half because this price just keeps going up bit by bit. But Nico Jari is 2.01 or plus 101 now at Pinnacle um, against Matteo Arnaldi. I don't know what, other than movement-wise and, and defending, what Arnaldi... I mean, these guys both have nice power. They both have the ability to dictate on serve. They played a match recently on quick hard courts where Jari closed about minus 138 market average there. Okay. He's now plus 101. He won that match. The, the market almost always overreacts to, like, look what's happening with Kichmanovic now. They played on a quick hard court at Davis Cup. Kichmanovic won it, and the market loves him. Jari is a favorite, beats Arnaldi in three sets, two tie breaks in there, but still beats him. And now he goes from closing plus or minus 138 there to, open, to, to being up to plus 101 here. They both have good serves. They both have good forehands. I actually think because Jari is, is more imposing physically in terms of being a big dude, his power actually comes with more margin for error than Arnaldi's, who kind of has to swing a bit harder to generate it, right? So I kind of like, I like the tour level pedigree. I like the fact that Jari's improved on quick courts in the last year. I like the fact that I, I do believe his power has a bit more margin to it. And even if you like head-to-head, -head, I mean, the most relevant matchup these two have played on a quick hard court, Jari won it. Now you're getting him as a you know an even-money underdog. I don't get that. I'm not sure why that is. Arnaldi's played a lot of tennis in the last couple of weeks already. I know it's early season and he's young, but the dude has played a lot of tennis. He also was on the ropes in that first set against Zapata Miralles. I think he went down to break twice before turning it around, winning it 6-4. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just not sold on him being the favorite here. I like Arnaldi's game. You know, he's he's one of those young kids in that Fils and Shevchenko range, right? All guys in their late teens, early 20s, all ripped into the top 50 at the end of last season, all prospects to watch. We want to talk with, we want to see them do well, but at the same time, like, let's let's slow our roles here. Think about oh. this. Arnaldi is, is, is as big of a favorite against Jari as Shevchenko is against O'Connell. How wild are those prices? Think about those and put them together and then tell yourself that you think those are the, the Arnaldi has just as much of a chance to beat Jari as Shevchenko does against O'Connell. See what I mean? Like when you evaluate prices and matchups, like, and then you put these two side by side, it looks wild to me. The implications that the market has kind of set out. Uh, big time scammer conditions for Jari as well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he is big he, time. Yeah. Full scam alert. Maxi Kazdakovsky up a break, third set. We love to see it. Anyway, yeah, so that's a one you play, one unit for me. Uh, at plus one hundred one at Pinnacle, I can't, I can't let that go. And I'm probably gonna bet. It. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I'll, I'll, I'm probably gonna add a half unit to that. Um, if it, even if it doesn't move anywhere, but if it moves even another four cents to plus one hundred five, I guarantee I'll have. You know, I might add a half unit to it anyway. So if, if people are wanting to tail or fade or whatever. You know, it, it probably ends up as a unit and a half, but for recording purposes and for the spreadsheet I have on my account, it is a one-unit play at plus 101 with Pinnacle. All right, and then I just found it. Corda did open at minus 175 at Will Hill. He's down to minus 161. So there is some um, money coming in on Sonigo. So mm -hmm. 
like I said, if I if I see like a minus one fifty five, I'll probably play Corda. Gonna let that um, cook a little bit. All right, now let's pivot to the AO qualities because I know you're you're gassed up. I actually watched a lot of them last night too. Uh, Mariano Navoni snaking that first set from Prismich. Unbelievable. Yeah. That would have been a huge set when Moneyline went. Yeah. I had plus five and a half there, though. Got there by the hook. <laughs> <laughs> up up, up two games after his set. I'm up seven and a half on the spread. I just get there. Oh, man. Talk about uh, talk about sweaty. But uh, yeah, look, the first one I'll talk about is Philip Sekulich. This one is on, um, this was in the Discord. I encourage people to join the Tennis uh, is Life Discord. I posted this last night. I posted this on uh, Betting Expert when I woke up this morning. It was still somewhat playable. Philip Sekulich is now over minus 200 against Oriol Rocabataya. He was minus 150 last night. Absolutely inexcusable. I can't give it out as a play here. The price has moved too much. I hope people did see my Betting Expert article this morning. Um if you didn't, that sucks. But that was a terrible price point. Abd, uh, the other, uh, the next matchup I want to talk about: Ben Benny Hassan taking on Jan Huwinski as the underdog, plus one thirteen at Penny. Toss me in for a unit and a half there, my good friends. Uh, Hassan really came came on at the end of last year. He did some damage on indoor hard courts. He's got a a really good serve. I just, I don't know what it is about him. He looks like he can return well and get rallies extended, but then he, he just plays a lot of, too many close matches for my liking. But here's the deal. He's better on hard courts than Hwinski. He's got more from the baseline than Hwinski. They both got big first serves. And even if Ben Hassan does decide to play another random close match when he shouldn't need to, I don't care because if it's a close match and a coin flip plus 113 and in, in over, you know, over the course of, a thousand bets when it's a coin flip is going to yield me profit. I don't care how you slice this. The price is incorrect. One and a half units plus 113. Benjamin Hassan over Jan Hawinski. That, of course, at Pinnacle um, is, is absolutely a play for me. I don't know if, he, if, you're, if you're joining me on that or, or what's up, but, uh, but it's one I love for tonight. Uh, I'm in. Let's do it. Beauty. Uh, next one. 7.30 Eastern time. Antoine Escoffier versus uh, Santi Rodriguez Taverna. I thought that Santi looked pretty good on hard courts last year at the end of the year. I, I'll give him that. I can't take that away from him. So Santi Rodriguez Taverna does come through at the end of last season. Okay, he goes to the, the semis in Brasilia. He goes to the quarters in Temuco. Much better than he, he fared in Temuco the year prior when he lost to Benjamin Locke, who's absolute garbage. But he beats Moreno de Alvarez in a third set tiebreak. Eduardo Ribeiro, 7-5 in a third set on hard courts. Mateus Chalves, 6-4 in a third set on hard courts. And Mateus Puccinelli de Almeida from a set down, second set tiebreak, and in like and, and needs a 6-1 third set. So yes, he did go 5-2 and two to end his season on hard courts. He lost by five games to Roman Buruchaga, and he lost by seven games to Alex Kovacevic. You can say that he's improved on hard courts, and I'll agree with you. You can't tell me he's improved enough to justify this price point. And the success he had was not that impressive. A lot of three-set wins against a lot of lower-tier South American primary clay court players. Antoine Escoffier, barely, I don't think he lost more than once or twice in the first round of a hard court challenger last year. He played primarily European uh, uh, hard court challengers. One, they're more difficult fields. Two, uh, the conditions emulate... Australia far more than the stuff in South America did outside of Brasilia. 
if you if you tell me I only have to lay two and a half games here and I'm getting plus money or even money to do it, I'm I'm taking that every time. So give me Escoffier here for a unit minus two and a half um, at Pinnacle at even money. It's just I I don't know how you can even if this is one of those bets where you lose it and you don't care, you'd make it again a hundred times out of a hundred, right? Win or lose, you can't you can't be results oriented. This is just a poor price. Uh, and and I think it has to be exploited. So Escoffier, one unit, minus two and a half at even money um, at Pinnacle. John, I wanted to ask you about the Enzo Cuoco match because mm-hmm. I, I, I obviously famously was the only player to win a set from Djokovic last year at the AO. Um, also just made the semifinals of a hardcore challenger tournament yeah, he is the dog to a player I don't know anything about. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why I wanted to ask you uh, what's going on here. Um, you can get him still plus 130 versus Jacquet. Yeah, so look, I, I actually, Kirian Jacquet was a, a French kind of grinder, underpowered, relatively weaponless prior to last year. I will give him credit. His first serve has improved a lot. I think he won the Obia Challenger, and I watched two of his matches, and he looked good in in doing so. He's a much better hard quarter now than I think anyone ever would have thought he would have been two years ago. That said, I was okay with this if it was a pick. Quacko opened at minus 200. Think about that for a second. Think about the movement that takes to go from minus... Yeah, at Pinnacle, he opened $1.49, a.k.a. minus 200. Um the 7th of January, 10.48 a.m. Eastern time. So it was quickly bet up, and I don't think he is that big of a favorite in this. Like, to be fair, if I had have gotten Jacquet at plus 165 on the open, I would have taken it. But this has gone way too far. Enzo Cuoco is still a more natural quick court player. I still think he is still has the better baseline game um, in terms of attack than Jacquet. He's probably not a tour level, like a steady tour level player, but he's not playing a steady tour level guy here, right? He's playing a guy that's still a challenger tour level player and as improved as Jacquet is, much like the Rodriguez Taverna handicap. He has improved. I don't think he can be a, a, a clear favorite. He's not a big favorite, but he's a clear favorite here. There's there's no doubting who the market has has bet into favorite status. I disagree with it. I'm with you. Quacko one unit at 2.28 or plus 128 at Pinnacle for me. What about Philip? Philippe Misolich taking on Mark Andre Hussler. Uh, you can get yes over, over plus oh, yeah. ten and a half set one at plus one eighty. I, I they don't I don't have the tiebreak here on Bavada, but I, I would assume a chunky first set is very in play here. Absolutely. I mean, one Misolich is another player who has improved a lot in the last few years on quicker courts. I've got the money line here for a unit as well at plus 170 at Unibet. So, I mean, I certainly like him to keep things close at the very least. I've got the tiebreak as well. I hit a lot of tiebreak bets last night, so I'm expecting to lose like 10 or 11 in a row, and I can't really be too upset with it. But Masolich, um, the tiebreak is plus 285 also with Unibet. That one is just a half unit bet for me. So... Um, Look, his serve is really strong, and his plus one forehand has come a long way, and he's 
He's eight in the last couple of years, he's been able to flatten it out without committing too many unforced errors. Like he is a more natural clay quarter, came up on clay courts, but it's going to be really tough to break him and give Huesler credit. He's probably the better or more natural quick court player. But the one thing he's not is an, an incredible returner, right? So I think it's going to be a little tougher than, than the market thinks for him to, to run away with this one or, or win it often enough to, to justify the price points here. So half unit on the plus 285 tie break and a full unit on the plus 170 money line, both with Unibet for me. Those are Camby books, by the way. So uh, most, you should be able to get those with uh, Camby uh, and any book that, that gets their odds from Camby. John, what about Danny Rincon, who was plus 300 versus Lloyd Harris? Now, <laughs> on paper, this is rightfully lopsided. However, Lloyd Harris stinks. Like, I mean, you're hanging a plus, like, you're hanging a plus 300 with a guy who has some skill in Rincon. In Rincon. Like, obviously, you know, I don't think he's lived up to what people has expected, but. I, it just seems I, I, Rincon can extend points and Lloyd Harris cannot hang in rallies. Well, Rincon also has a, a, a relatively big lefty serve and, and Harris is very, I don't want to say one dimensional. Um, but when he, when his game is not on, when his serve is his first serve is not on since he's come back, he's been really vulnerable. Uh, Rincon has that lefty game. He's he's if he's smart, he's just going to be serving and then targeting that backhand over and over and over again. Like he improved a little bit on quick surfaces last year during the grass season. I believe he won a set at Wimbledon Qualies in a, in a match. I did not think he'd have a chance uh, to make as close as he did. I think that uh, that plus three hundred is a bit much here. Just because it's not just him improving and him being d a decent young player. It's more about the fact that trusting Lloyd Harris to win something 75% of the time with how erratic he's been since his return, to me, that's irresponsible. So, yeah, I I'm with you on Rincon. Um, I haven't bet it myself, so I don't want to give it out as an official play, but I, I certainly am, am, am considering it here. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's listen, obviously he could get smoked, but <laughs> just it's... <sighs> People do these lotto tickets, right? It's like, well, I could just have one leg at plus 300 come in. I certainly think your <laughs> odds are better than the lottery. Um, all right, John, I kind of have to finish here. Is there any last play? Yep, I want to go two quick ones here. Uh, I won't really give out the, the full handicaps. I like Nico Moreno de Alboran against Shintaro Mochizuki, minus 106 penny, or minus 105 Unibet, pardon me, um, for one unit because... I mean, to me, he can stick with the consistency a little bit better of a serve, a little bit more attack to his game. Uh, really strong, hard quarter. I like the way he's improved. And then the other one for me, Nick Kicker. Don't underestimate the diminutive Argentinian who, look, the big serve of Bebek Shikayev could give his one-handed backhand problems. I get it. But we've seen his game play up here before. I think he qualified and made a third-round run prior to his suspension uh, in Australia at the Aussie Open. He's up to plus 195 at Unibet. That is actually a full unit play for me, not just a half unit. I will take both those money lines. So plus or minus 105 uh, for Morano de Albaran, plus 195 for kicker. Both are with Unibet and both are one unit plays. Well, there's more we could say. We have not said it all this time, but we have reached the end, unfortunately. Follow John at Jared Tweets Tennis, at Tibbetts Tennis, 
Follow us at MP9 Tennis. Do like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a rating, a review even, especially if you cashed uh, Germany 12 to 1 with us. Until next time, see you on the court.